Louis Giglio once said, simply by our proximity to Jesus, we can bring hope and life to people in places trapped in discouragement and despair. Which, by the way, applies to believers just as much as it does to unbelievers. Uh, right last week, we celebrated the resurrection of the Christ, the hope of the world, the only hope for all those who are lost. But you know, when we talk about Jesus being the hope of the world, he's not just the hope for all who are lost. He's also the hope for all who are found. For every believer and follower of Jesus Christ, he is our hope too, right? And not just on that day that we pass from this life to the next, but for every single day before then. Okay, Jesus is our hope for today just as much as he is our hope for tomorrow because we not only need hope for the next life, we need hope for this life. Right, because even though we've been redeemed, we still have to navigate our way through a world that hasn't been. And of course, even as Christians on our best days, we don't always get it all right, do we? We, we struggle still, don't we? We struggle, we still falter and fail and fall down because even though we're born again, we're not yet perfected. And so when we talk about the hope that we have in Christ, that's not just a reference to a future hope for eternity, it is that, but it's also a hope for what we're going through right now. And we need it, don't we? If we're being honest, because even as Christians, we still struggle in our marriages. We still make bad financial decisions. We still face all kinds of adversities and calamities because we're imperfect people living in an imperfect world. The difference for us is not that we've achieved perfection in our lives as Christians, no. The difference between followers of Christ and everyone else is that we have a hope for this life and the next that other people don't have. And it's that hope that we're supposed to share. Listen, with unbelievers, yes, but also with each other. Because I don't care who you are or how much you've got it all together. At times in our lives, we all need to be encouraged and built up by one another through the hope that we have in Christ. Okay, it's because of hope between believers that I've seen marriages that were all but lost, thriving, I know people who have lost nearly everything they owned, but because of believers through the local church sharing the hope that we have in Christ, those people not only recovered, but they actually have more now than they ever did before. Listen, because of hope, I've seen Christians overcome some of the greatest adversities this world has to offer because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, and it's a hope that transcends this world and the temporary afflictions that come with it. In fact, as we saw last week, our hope has overcome death itself. And so we have no good reason to stop fighting for our marriages, because no matter how bad it gets, listen, in Christ there is always hope. Right? We have no excuse to stop fighting for our families, because in Christ there's always hope. And listen, whatever the challenges are that may arise in our lives, even as, even as brothers and sisters in this family of God, this church, we, we have no excuse to stop fighting for each other because we're in Christ, and in Christ, there's always hope. By the way, hope isn't just wishful thinking. No, the, the kind of hope that we have changes you. Right? It changes you because... It creates capacity inside of you for all the things that you need in order to be able to keep fighting for all the things that you should. Right? When you're without hope, 
You don't have the capacity to grow in faith and patience and strength and wisdom and resolve because you close yourself off to all of that when you believe your circumstances are hopeless. And yet when you're full of hope, you open yourself up to growing in all of those areas. That's what hope does inside of you. It increases your capacity to be able to grow in all the ways that you need to when the challenges of life come. So look, because I know some of you are fighting some real battles in your lives today. We can pray for direction and strength and wisdom and resolve to see your way through those battles, but if you've already given up hope, well, praying for those other things that you need won't get you very far. If you don't embrace the hope that's available to you in Christ first, you will never find the faith that you need to keep fighting. If you don't allow hope to build in you, you won't be able to build your spiritual strength or wisdom because giving up hope shrinks your capacity for growth. Right? You'll never have the determination that you need to see your way through life's biggest challenges if you've already surrendered your hope. Yet when you're full of hope, you open yourself up to a world of possibilities and then your capacity to grow in all of those areas that you need to grow in increases exponentially. Remember back in chapter five of this letter we're studying, Paul said suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And we're going to talk about that part of it in a moment. But can you see how hope plays a key role in your ability to endure hard times? Because hope keeps your heart and your mind open to receive from God all that he has for you, even when things seem hopeless. I'm telling you. Hope can be such a powerful force in your life that it will change the entire trajectory of your life if you'll allow it to, to the point that you'll, you'll not only have hope for your own life in spite of the difficulties you may be even facing today, but out of your own deep well of hope, even in the midst of your own struggles and trials, you'll be able to share that hope with other people, which is the point of this next part of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, as we'll see as we continue our sermon series, working our way through Romans, because Paul understood that, listen, even the best among us, right? Even, even the most committed, most devout, God-fearing believers, even the people who seem like they always have it all together. Look, even those people at times need to be encouraged, need to be strengthened, need to be built up. No matter how successful or blessed or put together your life may be, we all need hope because in spite of all the blessings and fulfilled promises that we experience as followers of Christ, even, look, even though we belong to Christ, sometimes this world has a way of making us and our circumstances seem hopeless, right? And listen, the hope that we need in those times isn't going to come from this world. No, it's going to come from God through the person sitting next to you your brothers and sisters in Christ, as we build one another up, as we encourage and strengthen one another in the hope that we have in him. Okay, ultimately, our hope comes from God, yes, but it comes from him through us to each other. So let's pick this story up where we left off last time and see exactly how God does that. Romans 15, we'll begin with verses one through seven. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
For whatever was written in former days are written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul starts out with the word we which is just a further reminder that he's writing this letter to the church. Keep that in mind, to Christians. And so uh, as he talks about the strong and the weak, he's talking about believers. It's a continuation of the discussion in the previous chapter about believers who are strong in the faith and those who are weak in the faith. So he says, we Christians who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the Christians who are weak, which sounds like he's saying we need to learn to put up with each other when someone's screwing up. Right? But it's actually a lot deeper than that because the word bear that Paul uses when he says we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, that word bear, it's bastadso in the ancient Greek, it actually means to carry. And so when Paul says the strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, it's, again, it's far more than just putting up with or tolerating those who fail among us, which of course uh, could be any one of us at any time, right? What he's saying is we don't just put up with other believers when they're failing. No, he says we have an obligation to carry them through it. It's an allusion to Isaiah 53, 4, where Jesus didn't just put up with or tolerate our sin. He actually carried it. He bore the weight of it. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. It's the opposite of tearing each other down. You see, when a fellow believer is failing, we don't kick them to the curb. No, we carry them through it. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Paul quotes 69.9 to once again draw attention to Christ as our example of how we are to deal with the failings of the weak among us. We're to carry each other through it. And honestly, isn't that what we all want? Right, when we mess up, when we fail, when we sin, when we fall short of the mark, the last thing you need is to be knocked down even further. What you need is to be picked up by people who love God and who love you. People who are willing to carry you through it, to build you up and strengthen you so that you can carry someone else through their failings when the time comes. One of the ways we do that, according to Paul, one of the ways we carry each other in times of weakness and failures is through the word of God. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul says there's hope in the word of God. It's one of the ways we build each other up and carry one another through our failings. Not by, look, not by sharing positive thoughts and good vibes. Sorry, it just doesn't cut it. It's by proclaiming and applying the word of God in other people's lives when they need it the most. The psalmist said, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Psalm 135. In fact, the fact is, there's nothing in this world as powerful, as formative, as life-changing, as strengthening, as hopeful as the word of God. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. 
Psalm 33, 9, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Romans 4, 17 says God calls into existence the things that do not exist. And of course, we find the description of all of that happening in Genesis chapter 1, where in verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verses 6 and 7, God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And it was so. Verse 9, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. Verses 14 and 15, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And it was so. Verses 20 and 21, God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water Waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. Verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Verses 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Everything that was created was created by the word of God. You tell me how powerful is this word of God. The fact is there's nothing else like it. That isn't just a history lesson. By the way, just something that happened in the past because Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. Proverbs 4.22 says the words of God are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. John 17.17 says God's word is truth. He doesn't say it was truth. Right? Psalm 119, 105 says, God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And as we just read in Paul's letter, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So it's not just a collection of ancient writings that doesn't, don't apply to modern society because whatever was written in former days means all that was written in scripture. And of course, Paul was writing this letter centuries after the Old Testament scriptures were written. So this word of God This truth, this life, this healing, this lamp, this light, this word of God that is living and active by which everything that exists was created, this word of God that was breathed out by him which is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, this word of God that formed mankind and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, this same word of God has been given to you and me as a divine miracle. A supernatural gift intended to light our path, to show us the way, to teach us, to heal us, to strengthen us, to protect us, to guide us through this life. I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. The same God who spoke the universe into existence has spoken directly to you and to me. And just to be sure we don't forget what he's telling us, he had some of his best men write it down so we could keep going back to it, so that we could keep feeding on it for our every need to build us up and give us hope in our greatest failures. The prophet Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, Jeremiah 15, 16. 
There's nothing in this world or outside of this world like the word of God. Nothing compares to it, nothing measures up to it, nothing rivals it, nothing can contain it, disprove it, or defeat it. It is life to those who find it and healing to their flesh. And as followers of Christ, all you have to do in order to receive all that this word of God has to offer you, all you have to do is read it, accept it, believe it, and then honor it, live it out. Just do what it says and you'll find that power, that healing, that strength, that life, that light, that truth, that hope. You will find all of that living and active in your own life. You'll find it to be one of the greatest tools at your disposal for lifting others up. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, when they fail and need to be picked up and carried through their own weaknesses because nothing can sustain or strengthen you quite like the word of God. It's one of the greatest privileges of my life to be able to walk through life with people who are hurting. To help carry the weight of that. It's, what we're all, it's not just the pastor's job. It's what we're supposed to do for one another. But listen, you can't apply the word of God in other people's lives if you haven't first applied it in your own life. You can't apply the word of God to other people's lives if you haven't first applied it in your own life. And honestly, when you think about it, it seems like that would be the easiest thing in the world for people to do. And yet it has proven to be one of the hardest things in the world for people to do. For the Christian to simply apply God's word in our own lives should be a given. And yet that has been an epic struggle for God's people since the dawn of humankind. One of our greatest failures. Because the truth is, Although for the most part not complicated to understand, the word of God is also not easy to do what it says because often God's word requires us to live in a way that is counter to our human nature, right? Denying ourselves, denying uh, to what we naturally desire, dying to that, denouncing our former lives and following Christ. It's not really hard to understand, but it can be supremely difficult to actually do that at times in our lives. Because applying God's word often means making some difficult choices, doing some things you'd rather not do. But do you understand for the Christian, living your life according to God's word and teaching others to do the same, it's, listen, it's the only way. It's the only way to be true to who you actually are. Because living counter to God's word is to live a counterfeit life. Why? because we were created according to his word and we were called according to his word and we're commanded to live according to his word. And so anything short of that, we're living a double life, an inauthentic life. We're pretending to be something we're not, which is why there are so many Christians today, by the way, who are so dissatisfied with their lives, who struggle to find contentment, who never feel like they're where they should be or could be because whether they realize it or not, they're living inauthentic lives. They're trying to find happiness and contentment while living lives that do not honor God's word. And I'm just telling you, uh, that's a losing proposition every single time. It's a great way to fail. In fact, it, that's why we fail as Christians. It's when we live our lives counter to his word. And listen, you, you can't teach others to do what you're not willing to do yourself. 
Psalm 82, 4 says, Rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The apostle John said, By this we know that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John 3, 16. The apostle Paul said, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's you and me, Galatians 6.10. He also said, Bear one another's burdens. That's written to the church, Galatians 6.2. In other words, when your brother or sister in Christ is weak and failing, Don't kick them to the curb. No, pick them up and carry them through it. And one of the ways you do that is by teaching them to apply the word of God in their lives. Listen, the same way that you have learned to apply it in your own life. And so when there's a need, we stand up and we go to that need. That's what we do. Whenever it is, wherever it is, no matter what we may face when we get there, You understand, there's no reality where Christians honor God's word while ignoring the needs of God's people. Hear me, there's no reality where Christians can honor God's word while ignoring the needs of God's people. It's an inauthentic life. You cannot honor his word and turn a blind eye to the troubles of your brother or sister in Christ at the same time. Those two dispositions are entirely incompatible which among other things means our relationships with others and especially with other believers have to be deeper than surface level. Why? So that we're able to recognize the the needs in other people's lives when they arise. Because listen, there are people all around you every day who are fighting giants in their own lives and yet they should never have to do that alone. We're being hypocritical if we breeze in and out of church or in and out of the coffee shop or in and out of our friend's house with little to no concern about how those around us are actually doing. It's hypocritical. It's it's inauthentic because that's not who we actually are. We're God's people who are called to lay our lives down for one another, to love each other the way that Jesus loves us. So we always approach our relationships with a genuine interest in real concern for one another and then when the call comes when our brother or sister has a battle to fight we get up we get moving and we fight alongside them every step of the way because the kingdom of God in the kingdom of God no one fights alone and and look I I hope that everyone I would love it if everyone always liked everyone else in the church I mean that would be awesome But the fact is, how much you like or dislike someone should have absolutely nothing to do with your willingness to stand up and fight for that person. So let me just be bold and ask you for a moment, who are you fighting for right now in your life? Because if the answer is no one, the truth is you're not being the man or woman that God created you to be. You're not living according to his word. There should never be a time in your life when you're not fighting for someone else. You know why? Because there are always, there are always people around you who are fighting giants in their own lives. And if we're not fighting with them, then we're not being authentic Christians. We live counterfeit lives when we're indifferent to the battles that other people are facing. And look, if your answer is that, well, I'm simply unaware of any battles that anyone else in my life is facing, then I hate to tell you this, but your relationships are probably too shallow. Because there's always someone to pray for. There's always someone to provide for. There's always someone to protect. There's always someone to pick up off the battlefield and carry while you finish the fight together. So don't be afraid to go deeper in your relationships. Don't be afraid to be authentic 
Don't be afraid to love so deeply and care so wholeheartedly that you're willing to face any giant, anytime, anywhere for the sake of your fellow man. Just strap on your boots, grab that person by the arm and say, let's go, bring it. Because living according to God's word means fighting for each other. It means carrying one another's burdens and failures and weaknesses. That's what it looks like to apply God's word in your own life and in other people's lives, which also happens to be a tremendous source of hope. Chuck Colson said, Christ showed us hope transformed into sacrificial love. Let's finish the story for today, verses 8 through 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said rejoice O Gentiles with his people. And again praise the Lord all you Gentiles and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So Paul says, Christ became a servant in order that God would be glorified among the Jews and Gentiles. In other words, among all people in the church. And the word servant there, diakonos in the Greek, is the same word used for deacon in the church so he's reiterating his earlier point that we're here to serve one another to lift and build each other up with christ as our example that god would be glorified through every member of the body of christ listen even in our weaknesses and in our failures we're to glorify god even then and then paul launches into a series of quotations from the septuagint the ancient greek translation of the old testament he quotes from the law and deuteronomy the prophets and isaiah and twice from the psalms to drive the point home that all who come to christ belong to christ jew and gentile alike okay no matter who you are no matter where you come from whether you're a strong believer or weak even in our failures there is no one in the church paul says no one who it is okay for us to despise If we belong to Christ, then we belong one to another because we share the same spirit, the spirit of Christ. And by the power of that same spirit, Paul says, we can abound, which can also be translated as overflow in hope. And so for all believers and followers of Christ, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you're struggling with right now in your life, Paul says there is overflowing hope available to you. Hope in the word of God and hope in the spirit of God because the spirit of God can accomplish things in your life that you never could on your own. Which means you can hope for things in your life as a Christian that you could never hope for without Christ. But to be clear, that hope that we have is not because of how strong or put together we are at any given point in our life. We uh, We can have great faith, we should. We may feel confident when everything is going our way. That's good. But listen, if you think you have the faith or the confidence, or for that matter, the understanding or ability or talent you need to live the life that you know God created you to live because of who you are and because of what you've accomplished, you're sorely mistaken because you don't. John Newton said, our righteousness is in him and our hope depends not upon the exercise of grace in us, but upon the fullness of grace and love in him and upon his obedience unto death. 
Okay, even, even with all the faith you can muster on your own, even with all the natural talent and understanding and ability that you possess, with all of the human resources this world has to offer, the life God created you to live is so far out of reach, no human being could attain it. Not on our own. No, on our own. It's hopeless. Which is why when we're born again, God puts something inside of us that is neither natural nor human. The Apostle Peter explained it to the crowd who had gathered in Jerusalem during Pentecost when something clearly otherworldly was happening. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. In other words, you cannot live the life God created you to live, a life full of promise and hope by natural means. Therefore, he's putting something inside of you that is not natural. It is supernatural, the very spirit of Christ himself, and only by that spirit will you be able to live the life you were made to live. But that means learning to wholly rely on something otherworldly, something inside of you and yet beyond your control, something that will lead you into and enable you to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible. It's living a life that is not only spirit-empowered, but spirit-dependent which by the way is the part we don't really care for because nobody really has a problem with receiving power or guidance from the Holy Spirit. It's the part where we have to completely rely on that power and guidance every single day. That's the part we tend to resist. And so we go through life believing in Jesus while exercising a certain amount of autonomy over his spirit within us because while believing in him doesn't really cost us anything. Actually relying on the supernatural guidance and power of the Holy Spirit for every moment of our daily lives, that'll cost you everything. And make no mistake, that's the price of admission for the disciple of Christ who actually chooses to pursue the life you were created for. Listen, we're not talking about salvation. That's a free gift. We're talking about people who are already saved who then decide to actually live as God designed them to. Which which actually may be far more rare than you realize, because living that way is an ongoing daily submission to the supernatural guidance and power of the Spirit at work within you, and it comes with both great rewards and at a great cost to you personally. Yet it's also the most hope-filled life you could ever hope to live, and at times, it will utterly wreck your plans. It will humiliate every ounce of pride left in you, and yet it will satisfy your soul in ways you never imagined possible. And it happens to be the only way to carry out God's perfect will for your life. You understand, there is no other way. You may think you're answering the call of God in your life by working the plan that seems to clearly make the most sense at this point in your life based on your natural abilities and even your best inclinations toward God. But look, if that plan is not radically dependent upon the supernatural guidance and power of the Holy Spirit just to make each step along the way even possible, then you may actually be missing out on far more that he created you for. You see, Jesus Jesus couldn't live the life on earth that he was intended to live without the Holy Spirit. Neither can we. It's all throughout the Gospels, Hebrews and Romans, Jesus' own reliance on the Holy Spirit. So honestly, if Jesus couldn't do what he came to do without the Holy Spirit, what makes us think we can? 
You can certainly live a good moral life, a conservatively religious life, a culturally Christian life without supernatural power. Yeah, but that's not the life he created you to live. No, the life he created you for, you have absolutely no hope of living without his power surging through you because that life requires supernatural provision and supernatural revelation and supernatural power to do your part in building up the body of Christ, his church, to all the ends of the earth. You can't do it in your own strength. Every time the disciples tried, they drifted away from Jesus and failed miserably. We must learn to rely on something more than our natural ability, on something more than our natural talent, on something more than our natural understanding. We must learn to rely on the supernatural power of the Spirit of Christ living inside of us. It is our only hope of living the life we were created to live. And listen, when when you combine the Word of Christ inside of us with the, the Spirit of Christ inside of us, oh boy, now we have divine authority to proclaim the gospel and to live it out in ways that would otherwise be impossible. Just listen to what Jesus said. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Luke 10, 18 and 19. Based on the proclamation of the gospel, he said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew 16, 18 and 19. He said, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Matthew 18, 19 and 20. He said, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name they will cast out demons they will speak in new tongues they will pick up serpents with their hands and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover Mark 16, 17 and 18 the apostle John said he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world 1 John 4, 4 James the brother of Jesus said resist the devil and he will flee from you James 4, 7 the apostle Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Come on. You understand, anyone can read the word of God, but only those who have the spirit of God inside of them can proclaim it and live it with authority because it comes out of the substance of our identity in Christ and our own experience with him firsthand. There's a big difference between being familiar with something and actually experiencing that same thing. If you've never ridden a motorcycle before, uh, you can buy one and memorize the owner's manual from front to back. You can understand intellectually everything there is to know about that motorcycle, how to get on it, how to start it, how to ride it. But until you actually get on the thing and start the motor and experience actually driving it, until you actually experience riding that motorcycle, you cannot talk to someone else about what it's like to ride a motorcycle. At least not with any authority. Why? Because there's no substance to your understanding of it. Not until you experience it for yourself. Okay, anyone can read the gospel story, but not everyone can proclaim it or live it with authority because it has to come out of substance, not just familiarity. Look, uh, uh, this part of the country that we live in, 
is about as religious as it gets. I mean, people are as familiar with the gospel as they are with their favorite football team, but that doesn't mean the substance of the gospel is actually present in their lives. Just because they're familiar with it doesn't mean they're living it out. There's a book titled Unsaved, The Unsaved Christian. It's all about cultural Christianity in America, those who accept the religious culture of the Christian faith without any real evidence of the substance of Christ in their lives. And in it, the author says, cultural Christianity is the most underrated mission field in America. Think about that. Cultural Christianity is the most underrated mission field in America. Okay, anyone can go to church. Anyone can be religious. Anyone can become familiar with the story of the gospel, but not just anyone can proclaim it or live it out with authority, which is why it rests with us, the church, to share the truth of God and to show the love of God to others out of the substance, the evidence, the reality of it working in our own lives through the power of his Holy Spirit working in our own lives. That's when the message of hope is delivered with authority to those who are without hope. Which, by the way, is exactly what they need from us. Okay, people, listen, people who are lost, broken, hurting, hopeless, they don't need us to explain to them how they ended up being lost, broken, hurting, and hopeless. They already know how they got there. Okay, broken people don't need judgment, they need Jesus. They don't need us to explain their situation. They need us to take authority over that situation by sharing his truth through the word of God and then showing them his love at work in us through the spirit of God. And then watch the hope that can only come from God take hold in their lives as they submit to his word and to his spirit in their own lives. And that is as true for the believer as it is for the unbeliever because although we belong to Christ, we're imperfect people living in an imperfect world. And of course, this world has, has a way of getting to us sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, the fact is, no matter who you are, no matter how much you've got it all together, it, it's not just the weak. Even the strongest among us sometimes need to be encouraged, need to be lifted up, built up, even carried through dark days when they come. We all do at times in our lives. That's why we need to fight for each other. Look, even when we don't agree on everything or see things the same way or even understand that other person's weakness, instead of despising that person, try fighting for them. Even if you don't understand what they're going through or why they struggle with that weakness to begin with. Because listen, when you are in Christ, you have the authority to carry hurting people to a place of strength and wholeness and hope through the word of God and through the spirit of God even when you don't understand it yourself. Well, how? Because you have the one who does understand it living and working inside of you. And in him, there is always hope. Let's pray.